Hello, bonjour and salam alaikum. Welcome to Stand Out from the Crowd, the first live podcast about no BS leadership. So if you like us, tell your friends and colleagues to go over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to give us a five-star review. Because listen, the stories we share on this podcast are worth it. And we are worth it. Don't you think so? Now, Let's talk about today's topic. One of the crucial steps to long-term professional success is to be in the room where decisions are made and opportunities are created. However, being the only can leave you a feeling as an outsider when you just want to fit in. Our standout guest, Laurie-Anne Beausoleil, is the CEO of Board Diversity Network, and she sits on multiple boards across Canada and the US. She is a trailblazer who navigated her way into leadership, often being the only one in the room. So join us as she shares her experience and invaluable insights into overcoming unique challenges and excelling in leadership roles. How are you doing? Fantastic. Looking forward Ooh. to the conversation. <laughs> I love this energy, and that's what we are here for. <laughs> yes. So, Lori, we have uh, uh, virtually met a couple of times. We had a couple of, co of conversations together. Yes. But I know very little about your story. And I know, we know that, you know, what we went through uh, growing up, the challenges we faced, the, the environment we were born and raised in has a big and huge impact on the person we become and more especially helping us becoming the leader we were meant mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this first. When growing up, did you have any role models that would inspire you and to become the leader you were meant to be? Oh, thank you for that question because it gives me a chance to brag about my parents. Um, my role model was my father. In fact, another bragging moment, my dad is going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame at St. Francis Xavier University in Nova Scotia. The first wow. graduate and they are putting him in the builder group, meaning he built while he was there in those years. So when you have that as your beginning and imagine my dad graduated in 1955. He went through to St. Francis. I can't begin to tell you about his journey, but what he did is he has four girls. I'm one of four girls. And he said to all of us, which gave me the confidence to have a voice, was you girls can be anything you want to be. Nobody in life is going to define who you're going to be but you. And when you have a role model like that, who's obviously... The person and my mother, obviously a great contributor as well, but he was the one that told his four girls, anything you want to be, society is not going to dictate what you can do. You are going to dictate what you can do. And to me, that was the inspiration. And obviously he did it more than just for the four of us, hence why he's getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. And he was a, a fantastic uh, contributor to education in Mississauga. So that is the beginning of the journey for my leadership, I skills and confidence, because that gives you confidence um, in part of that journey. Definitely. And that's a powerful way to start your mm -hmm. journey, right? Absolutely. 
So now if I were to ask your father three words to describe yourself, what do you think he would say? You know, he would say he so he refers to me as Lorianne. So I can't even say Lori. He would say Lorianne um, is the child who strives for excellence. And I have to teach her that nobody is perfect. So mm. let me pause on that. He saw from a young age in school that I always wanted to be on the honor roll list. I always wanted to be the one with the top grades. But he also said always being on the top isn't always where you want to be. So please choose your position in life and choose it well. And then, of course, excel at what you do. So that would be, I'm going to say, one thing he would say is my daughter, I had to teach her there's no such thing as perfection. The second thing uh, that he always taught me that he would say about me is give Lori a mic and that girl won't <laughs> stop so he used to say, Lori Ann loves the mic. And uh, we used to do these talent shows as kids. And I always enjoyed, you know, being uh, that person. And then he would say leader. You know, it's mm -hmm. interesting with my dad's passing, um, you know, I've become like the leader of the family. I, for my, most importantly, for my nieces and nephews and cousins, I've become a leader professionally as well not just through a fantastic career at PricewaterhouseCoopers, senior partner, most sat on global teams, but really that leadership is also with the people that I lead. Um, Board Diversity Network is really getting this network to lead. And so I would say he would use the word leadership. Wow. You know, I, I really appreciate I the way you brag about yourself. And I'm seeing it very from a very positive perspective because we need more women to talk about themselves the way you talk about yourself. You see what I mean? It mm -hmm. is you you are talking about yourself and your experience from an empowering perspective, mm -hmm. and you leverage this in order to empower others. Mm -hmm. And we need more of that. Yes. Now, uh, could you uh, describe a specific moment or an event uh, in your life that ignited your passion for leadership, even though we understand clearly that, you know, <laughs> you started your journey in life being a, a natural leader. But did you have any like moment that drove you to succeed against all the odds? You know, the moment I'm going to describe is one that also brings a bit of pain and so, but also celebration. So I have to put a couple of things into context as we go through this interview. When I started my professional career in 1986, a graduate from University of Toronto, Bachelor of Commerce, I entered the workforce as the one and only. So when I, 75 people were hired at Coopers and Library, which subsequently became PwC. And of the 75, five of us were women and there was no racial diversity. And so when you start that way as the one and only, um, that does start and gives you an example of what my world looked like as I went through my journey. The moment that really gave me power was when I was invited. I was not yet a partner. I was a senior manager, but the partners invited me to an offsite. And it was being held at a club on Bay Street, which is still there. And when I entered the club, 
they hadn't seen a black woman enter in her professional suit before. So they didn't know who I was. I got lots of attention because as soon as I walked in, I think all the cigars dropped and the scotch glasses, you know, came banging on the table. Like, and I walked up to the front and remember back then we didn't have phones. I can't call one of my partner, I wasn't a partner then, but one of the partners and say, Hey, I'm at the front desk. So they began to almost interrogate me. I said, I'm here for a Cooper's and Library meeting. And they said, okay. Um, I asked, is there a place for me to hang out my coat? Because it was the winter. And the level of what is she doing here? Why is she here? And by the way, yes, we could hang your coat, but it's in the basement. And I'm not going in the basement for anybody. So mm-hmm. um, I waited for them to go up to the room to say, we had this woman at the front. Um, is she part of your meeting group? So the best part that happened there is I realized those people had never seen anybody like me, but I deserved to be there first and foremost. Number two, my partners at Cooper's and Library, and I did my best. I didn't cry. I walked into the room. I'm a senior manager. I've been invited into the room. I wasn't going to lose the opportunity, but I did tell one of my mentors, guess what happened to me at the front desk? They really didn't want me in this club. And I don't know if it's because of my color or my gender. He raced down, you know, told them they was pulling the Cooper's and Library membership. In fact, mm. I think a picture of me because unfortunately I swore I was never going to go, but I got invited a few times. Every time I entered the club since, I was like, you know, oh my gosh, Ms. Beausoleil, what can I do for you? <laughs> I, you know, I turned that situation into an opportunity. It was the very first time I actually talked about gender or race and never used any of that language. And the second thing is, is it was a, a men's club and the yeah. guy having the meeting there probably didn't even think about that because the best part, and that's what I want to celebrate, is they didn't see me as different. Okay. They invited me to that club, not thinking it was a men's probably only club at the time. And they didn't think about it, that there was no diversity at the club. So, of course, me walking in was shocking to everybody. Yeah. They didn't know who she was and why she was there. So, and that inspired me to say, let's change what that club looks like. Let's change what corporate Canada looks like. And I'm proud because that's what I'm doing now. I've had this remarkable career, like unbelievable with some of the greatest partners in the world at PricewaterhouseCoopers. But now I'm building a network of top talented, diverse executives so that when anything like that happens, you've got a network to support but it won't happen because we're going to see that club has changed, by the way, there are women and people there now, but we're going to make further change. You wait and see. Oh, there is a lot of space, a lot of room for change to happen. Absolutely. So we are here for it. So, but let's, let's go back a little bit because you mentioned something that is very important in my opinion. You said, Hey, you know, I had a mentor and I talked to my yeah. mentor. So tell us a little bit how having, mentors you know was a game changer or maybe a mindset changer in your case when Mm -hmm. facing those opportunities when you said you know i didn't cry you could have cried you know and shut yourself down but you didn't so tell us a little bit more you know the importance of having a mentor and how it does impact your mindset shift from oh what am i doing here 
questioning yourself, doubting yourself to, yes. hey, I have a seat at the table. I deserve to be here. My right. place is here in the room. Perfect. Thank you for that, because I believe mentorship is critical. I actually believe that you need, you know, a group of mentors, but you also need sponsors. So for me, I would never have told you what the word mentor meant back then. I had these partners that took interest in me, saw that I had a talent that I didn't even know I had, and they made sure they drew that talent out and then supported me in ways that I was shocked about, you know, saying, Lori, you could be a partner. I mean, I did not go in there with a vision that I'd be a partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers, but they gave me that confidence. They made sure that I got opportunities um, at the firm to work on some complex engagements, lead some complex engagements, so they could see me, you know, under fire, under stress, can she handle it? And those mentors opened doors but they did it and gave me safety because they weren't there to, you know, let me hang out there. They were there to support me through that. And I think because of those mentors, and I'm going to call them out, Bill Cottenham and Michael Van Every, uh, two phenomenal partners at PwC. Unfortunately, both of them have passed and I hope they're proud of what I'm doing now, but they supported me and sponsored me. So, you know, Bill Cottenham said she can be a partner. Michael Benevery, one of their top leading partners in the firm. Barry Myers, Peter Eccleton. They all grouped around and supported me through the partnership journey. Okay. So can maybe for, for those of, for our listener, uh, can you tell us uh, the difference between mentorship and sponsorship? Yeah. So a mentor knows you more and or gets an interest in knowing you more not just professionally they got to understand your family life they got to understand you're raising two beautiful girls they have to understand it all and they help you through that a sponsor is in the room so they're in the room when you're not in the room they're in the room saying wait a minute and they talk about you and sponsor you um and whatever you so choose to be sponsored in But remember, lots of conversations happen when you're not in the room. Your mentor's not in the room, but your sponsor is. So for everybody listening, it is critical to have a trusted sponsor who can bring your voice to the table in a way that you want it to be brought. The mentors are there coaching you, supporting you, advising you, giving you opportunities, but you need that sponsor in the room. So talking about the room, the room has quite changed over the past few years, right? Yes. Uh, so we went pre-pandemic um, from, you know, the traditional room where you will see uh, through the glass, uh, to the world glass, people like the management team, the leadership team sitting around the table with uh, the most influential person sitting at the end of the yes. table, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, now we are in an era where it's a little bit more complex because the room has become virtual. Yes. So do you see any additional challenges uh, to the fact that we are talking and working evolving within a virtual professional world when it comes to getting invited into those rooms and leveraging opportunities? 
So that's a great question. And uh, it's one of interest because I actually think the real decisions are not happening in that virtual room. They're happening outside. They're happening in a restaurant, on a golf course, or in a meeting room. I think it's difficult to have a virtual meeting on things that have a lot of sensitivity because one of the things as I'm staring at the screen is you're going to see a bit of my body language, but you're not going to see all of it. You're going to hear what I'm saying. You're going to see me, but you don't even know if I'm fully engaged and don't have, you know, something going on on the side. So I'm going to say to you, I actually believe the real tough decisions don't get done virtually. They get done in person. Now you are virtual. So here is the challenge being virtual. And it's a concept we talk about. And uh, one of your other guests, uh, Deborah Rosati, said it quite well, is the weight concept. One of and the, what she means by weight is why am I talking? So what happens in this environment, which would not happen in a, in a in person, is you start talking. You talk over people. You're talking to be heard. Sometimes you haven't given a lot of thought to what you're saying, and you can't see everybody because there's 20 people in the room. Not everybody's on the screen. So I'm saying to everybody, these virtual meetings. You make sure, number one, you have your camera on. Number two, make sure when you're talking, you do it with respect. Even if the meeting doesn't require a hands up, put your hand up, go in the chat, say my hands up. Show them that you understand how a meeting room works because virtually we've lost some of that, what I'm going to say, behavior, respectful behavior. You're going to be careful in how you're thinking. And then what you are going to do, which is critical for relationships, is set up whether it's a virtual coffee or an in-person coffee. I actually believe it's difficult to go from entry level to top leadership and never having been outside of the virtual room. And I do believe it's a hybrid, but also for you to take advantage of a bit of the safety in virtual, because there is a safety yeah. element to it, but also make sure you understand the criticality of being in person. Very true. And from previous uh, work experience as well, I have seen uh, some major decisions being made by the pool while eating watermelon. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> so when you say those decisions, like they, they happen at the restaurants, usually that's why we say, you know, like go yeah. golfing, join a club, uh, you know, make sure to understand where the decision makers uh, hang out, Correct. what they do when they hang out, where do they have those conversations. So there is a dose of observation and understanding how things yes. are being, uh, you know, made in your yes. work environment so you can better navigate. The more you understand, the more you can, the better you can right. navigate and have access to those space, uh, which is uh, very critical, um, as you said. Uh, totally. We have a question here. Um, sometimes when we are the only one, we feel like our efforts might be looked at more closely and doubted, which can make it even harder to make the most of the chances we have. How do you navigate that? So that's an excellent question, and I'm glad whoever asked it. So let's be clear. Not are you the only one. You may be the first one. 
So what you have to do as the first and only is evaluate that environment. So you got to use some of that emotional intelligence to make sure that you're in an environment that wants you first and foremost. And I believe you come in prepared. I probably over-prepared. I never use notes. I, I always say, even today, I just want to have a conversation because I have done so much preparation. I already know kind of how I like to talk and how I want things, but make sure you are prepared. When you are the only one, you do feel like they are questioning you. And we, all of us say, well, then we got to be better than everybody else. How many times has everyone said that? I got to be better than my colleague because I am the only one. However, you are in the room because you are good. You deserve to be in the room. So walk in with that confidence, shake the hands, look at the people in their eyes, come prepared, please, as best as you can. Do not look down at notes. Talk with a genuine, authentic way. I've seen people come into a room. Sometimes they're so prepared. They're like, you know, almost like doing a speech because they memorized it. You got to bring that authenticity in the room. When Lori's in the room, this is Lori. You're going to get her best. You're going to give the best advice that I can. But also, please, and I'm going to reiterate this, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room and start asking questions and comments that make it look like you're trying to be the smartest person in the room. You're invited. Do your job. Research it well. Excel on what you know and be you. Because at the end of the day, to get that second invite into the room, Yes, they can say, yes, he or she is great. They understand that they're going to be fantastic on our team. But here's the other part. Do we want them on the team? So you've got to show who you are to make sure you're going to fit. People call it belonging now. I love all these new words. I just call it fit. I actually make those assessments in the room myself. Do I fit? Do I want to be here? So mm -hmm. don't underestimate. You also have a choice. Um, do you want to be there? So in conclusion... Come in prepared, be your genuine, authentic self. Do not ask questions to look like you're the smartest person in the room. Ask the questions that you need that information in order to provide the best solution to respond to a complex issue or to participate in a meeting. Always use your voice. Never be that person that doesn't use their voice. And people say, Lori, it's easy for you. You're an extrovert. The irony is, is Growing up, I was actually very shy. I became an extrovert as I gained confidence. Mm -hmm. So if you're an introvert, then it takes maybe a little more difficulty for you to use that voice. But use that voice because the person who is silent gets forgotten. True. Oh, that is very true. And from an introvert to another one, growing up, I used to be a very, very shy child. Mm -hmm. I know I can resonate totally with what you're saying. And it is doable. It is feasible. So for all the introverts, the yeah. shy, the shy people listening to us, uh, we were not born like this. This is That's something right. that we yeah. had to work on. And right. personally, I'm still a work in progress. But when you see me on this podcast or when speaking on the stage, you wouldn't believe it, right? That's but right. this is something that you have the power to change. So you are leaving your mark. Yes, and talking exactly. about leaving your mark, you have had an incredible career. Mm -hmm. What would you say is your greatest achievement to date? 
So I'm going to answer it personally, and then I'm going to answer it professionally. So I will say to you, my biggest achievement to date are my two girls. I have raised two open-minded, passionate, respectful, where respect is deserved, and I've used that as a qualifier, but also empathetic. Be aware of the situation you're in. Support those that need support. But guess what? They are both in their respective careers just starting. And I'm already seeing these traits in them. Um, and I see how they're helping others in a way that makes me so proud. So I have to say personally, these two rock star daughters are my biggest um, accomplishment. And I didn't do that by myself, obviously. My husband contributed as well. But uh, um, one's um, a lawyer at Tories, and my daughter is uh, finishing fourth year, and she's going to PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, next September. Wow. So two going um, and watch out for these two young ladies. Professionally, it was becoming a partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers. I'm a visible minority and I'm a woman. And I never, ever, ever in that journey to partnership considered myself a token. I never considered anything because back then we didn't talk about diversity. We didn't talk about inclusion. And so that was my biggest accomplishment to be one of the first, I think, in the professional services firm to be uh, not the first, but I'm one of the first racially diverse woman um, as an equity partner in a global professional services firm. That was to me a great accomplishment. And to do that, I had to obliterate, you know, the concrete ceiling because there wasn't anybody that looked like me gender or race wise. Yeah. So, yeah. um, and, and I, and I shouldn't say that there was one woman that I shouldn't say that I, what, I wasn't the first, uh, there were other women in, in across, but I felt that I obliterated because I went into an area coming out of audit that was uh, first. And when we merged with Price Waterhouse, you know, they didn't have that kind of diversity. So, um, and I was able to catapult uh, with uh, the support of both firms. That's, that's incredible. Um, you have shared uh, a, a lot of insights through uh, your own experience that you have applied to yourself. Um, what advice uh, would you offer to those aspiring to be leaders, uh, especially to those uh, who may often find themselves as the only representative of a particular group in their workplace? So what advice I would give you is not just be in the room, but think about how you can change that room. Uh, my advice to you as your aspiring leader is, and I use this a lot, but it's so true, is you cannot get to the top all by yourself. You've got to have a team and make sure that team is diverse. So you need your team inside the organization. And that team could include juniors that you're going to also bring up through the ranks, but have that team that's going to help you get to the top because you can't do it by yourself. The second thing that I'm going to say is awareness. Be aware of where you are 
at what time you are. Some organizations aren't quite ready um, for, you know, lots of diversity, perhaps. It's not because they don't understand it. They're just not ready. So you better make sure you're the best because when they are ready, they're going to be open to the conversation to bring others up. So first and foremost is have the team. The second thing is, remember how we talked about mentors and sponsors? When you're mm -hmm. on a board, the reason why boards are the most powerful people in our country, because they actually determine who's going to be the CEO, what the CEO's comp is, et cetera. But guess what? That CEO, to do what he or she does, needs a board. So I highly recommend you find your board of directors internally and externally to the organization workplace and get them to also help and guide you because the journey is difficult if you do it all by yourself. Mm -hmm. I believe you need a team. And then as you, when you get to the top, don't stay there all by yourself. Think about how you're going to bring the others because that's how we're going to have change in corporate Canada. The one and only, the first and only, they're lonely positions because I was lonely. I get it. I've, I've been there. I know that feeling. But we have a role to make sure we bring others at least to the door so that they can walk through. And, and I believe, you know, the Board Diversity Network is uh, a place that can where you can find the members, right? To build your board, your own board, your own team. Yes. So tell us yeah. a little bit more about uh, the work that you do and, and how you support aspiring board members. Perfect, thank you. Because uh, I love talking about Board Diversity Network. Uh, surprise, surprise. Number one issue in corporate Canada is where is our top talented diverse executives? There are a lot of boards that would like to have diversity on their boards. They believe in the diversity of experience. They believe in the diversity of thought. And they know if they want to be top tier, they need that diversity for creativity and innovation. But they go, where are they? Like, where are the other Lori Beausoleil's that maybe didn't have a professional services firm experience, which allowed my Rolodex to be broader? That's why Board Diversity Network exists. I'm telling you that this network will be the most sought after network. I did it with the hope that we were going to get board positions and cohort number one. So cohort number one, 45% of that cohort have the confidence or in the market and they're getting board positions. Everybody says for profit. Some of them are not for profit. Some of them are public sector. Some of them are for profit. Every individual has to have a passion to sit on the board and those individuals are all out there. But let's be clear. It's not Lori Beausoleil that's going to do the change. It's the network. I want these corporate governance nominating committee chairs for all sectors to know that there is a cohort of diverse executives. We are just not on the Rolodex and we want to change that. The second thing is you got to be board ready. We're reading articles in the newspaper where certain individuals felt that, you know, perhaps they weren't treated well or their board assessment, you know, they're rated the lowest performing board member. And then you always look, why is that? Well, that's what I want to make sure. Being in a boardroom, it's not just a job of preparing and understanding strategy, risks, risk, finance, etc. There's also a process around that boardroom. 
There's also a process before you go into the boardroom where a lot of decisions and conversations are had. And there's board dinners, there's board social. So we want to make sure all board, board diversity network graduates know how to navigate the boardroom, know how to have a voice, and know how to bring others to the table. Every single cohort member, one of our kind of asks is do if you're just looking for yourself, then you're not at the right place. If you're looking for a network of people to be your board of directors, but to help you, but more importantly for you to help them, then please call us at Board Diversity Network. We really feel that we've got the right program at the right time in the corporate Canada, not-for-profit and public sector world. People want diversity, not for the sake of diversity, not to check a box, but they realize all the papers and research and documents have proven that better decisions get made when you have diversity around the boardroom table. And that's what so it, is about. Oh, yes. So is the network in, in the Toronto area only or is it across Canada? So we just started in March. So we started in, in the Toronto area. We do have some people coming from Ottawa and other places. Uh, but we really do uh, want to expand, you know, for 2024, you know, we've had two asks, one for Halifax and one for Calgary. So we do want to be national, but we wanted to make sure the program was well received, well done. And it takes an army uh, to do it. So the facilitators and the leaders are top drawer, top notch, and we need to replicate those in other cities. So look out, rest of Canada, we're coming. But right now we're just in Toronto. <laughs> So my last question to you, Laurie, looking back and looking at what you are doing now, what is the mark? What is the legacy that you wish to leave behind? Oh, thank you for that question. And that can be a little bit emotional. I was at PwC for 36 years and I was on a treadmill that was 12 hour day, seven days a week. I didn't have a chance to look up or look behind what was behind me. I just was looking, sorry, what was in front of me, uh, delivering the best I could for all of my clients, who some of them are now my friends. Um, and what I didn't have enough time for, um, given that the, the job was, could I have done more um, in the sense of bringing more people into the organization, both from a university like my daughter or more importantly, promotion within I feel that uh, that's now my legacy. I'm opening doors every day. I'm giving people a chance to get to the door. I can't walk you through the door. That's up to you. I even had a conversation. I think she's listening to this podcast. You know, I gave some, and I give some tough love too, right? Uh, just because you're a top talented, diverse executive, you cannot sit. You've got to keep on pushing forward. And uh, I believe what I'm hoping my legacy is, is the Ontario Securities Commission had a round table talking about what does diversity look like on for-profit boards. My legacy is we won't have to have that conversation. There will be access because they'll know how to find these executives that aren't currently aren't on the CEOs and certain recruiting firms, et cetera's um, Rolodex. And that's not because they don't want you. That's just because they don't know you. And they will soon know you because you will be part of that BDN network that they'll tap into. But number two is, I don't want to talk about diversity anymore. I just want to see it. 
And that will be my legacy. You know, I want to be able to say when I started BDN, you know, the diverse number of board members was X percent. And when I finished, it's double digits. That will and be it will. legacy. And it will be. And that will be it the will legacy be. that I want to leave. Well, Lori, Lorianne, thank you so much. Uh, that was a, a very inspirational conversation. Thank you for sharing so much with us, your energy, your, your life inspiration and everything. That's what I love about the podcast, all the stories and, and you know, the boost in motivation, inspiration that we get from listening to women leaders like you. Yes. So thank you so much. Yeah, and thank, thank you. you. Thank you to everyone watching and listening. And we will see you next week for another live episode of Stand Out from the Crowd. Thank you, everyone.